The title of the message this afternoon is Living Each Day. Living Each Day. And we will be looking at the scripture text, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. These words of instruction given by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus are part of a second half of his epistle in which the believers are directed in how to live as church members in chapter 4 and as individuals and as families in chapter 5. So this message is directed primarily to Christians. I will, though, have some words for the unbelievers at the close of this message. So let's read then Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll actually read from verse 15 to verse 17. Remember, again, this is God's revelation to us. Verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. As individuals, we are to, according to verses 15 and 16, walk, quote-unquote walk, that is, live each day carefully or wisely, or the King James Version reads, circumspectly. And not to live our days as fools, that is, unwise. And then the apostle tells us in verse 16 how to live this way by, quote, redeeming the time, unquote. And then he gives us the reason why, quote, because the days are evil, unquote. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Finally, in verse 17, he repeats the command to not be foolish, but to rather understand, that is, comprehend or consider the will of the Lord. Verse 16 is our point of interest as far as living each day is concerned. We are told to live carefully and wisely by, quote, redeeming the time because the days are evil, unquote. But what is meant by redeeming the time? And also, in what way are the days evil? Let's take a closer look at these words. Redeeming the time. The word used for redeeming literally means to buy up, that is, ransom, to rescue from loss. It was a term that was originally used in the marketplace among merchants who were buying and selling their goods. The word appears four times in the New Testament scriptures. One example is in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, when it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So this this is a strong term that Paul uses in teaching how we are to use our time. Now, we must determine what is meant by the word time in verse 16, since that is what we are to redeem. And its actual meaning may not be what you expect. First of all, let me tell you what the time doesn't mean. 
It doesn't mean a measure or span of time like what time is dinner. It's not measured in hours or minutes like on a wristwatch. There's another Greek word for that from which we get the word chronology. The word here in verse 16 for time actually means an occasion or a moment in time. As if we said, is it time for dinner? Or is it the moment or opportunity for dinner? Actually, the word for time is translated opportunity in Galatians. In Galatians 6.10 it reads, excuse me, as we have opportunity, that is, the time, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. So then when Paul teaches us in verse 16 to redeem the time, he's literally telling us to buy up or ransom the occasions, the moments, or it could be said, the opportunities. If we were to paraphrase Paul's metaphor, redeem the time, we could actually say, make the best use of the time, or make the most out of every opportunity, as some of your Bible versions read. What Paul is teaching us is that we are to make the most of every opportunity that the Lord gives us, or, as I've entitled this message, living each day. What I'd like to do this afternoon is give you some encouragements to live each day. That is, to live each day, one day at a time, to the glory of God. This morning's message was addressed to those who live each day presuming on the foreseeable future, whereas this message is addressed to those who live each day prepared, already prepared for the never-ending future. Following our seven encouragements to living each day, one day at a time, to the glory of God. So here's the first of seven encouragements if you're taking notes. Number one, today is all you have. Today is all you have. We don't have the past. Past is gone. Never to be returned. And we don't have the future. It hasn't happened, or it may not happen in this world. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 6 9, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. That is, better is the reality that's before us or at hand in the present than that which is desired or imagined, whether it be imagined in the past or desired in the future. You may have heard the expression, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And if you haven't heard it, then you need to ask your grandparents or your great-grandparents. They'll explain that to you. It simply means what you have is worth more than what you don't have that maybe you think you might have, but you don't. So in describing the Puritans, Puritans, it was said that they, quote, aspired to be worldly saints, Christians with earth as their sphere of activity, with heaven as their ultimate hope. I'll read that again. The Puritans aspired to be worldly saints, that is, Christians with earth as their sphere of activity, with heaven as their ultimate hope. So for the Christians, 
This earth and this day is your sphere of activity. Today, Christian, is your sphere of activity to serve God. King Solomon's also counseled in Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Not did do, as in the past, or will do in the future, but what you do in the present. We are to live each day because today is all we have or may have. Number two, the second encouragement to live in each day. Today is a trust. Today is a trust. The word trust is a term often used in the business world. Trust would be defined as something committed to one's care for use or safekeeping, whereas the trustor is the person who creates the trust. The trustee is the person who cares for the trust. You may have heard these terms used in real estate, for example. <clears throat> Dear Christian, have you ever considered that apart from your life, time is the most valuable thing that God has entrusted to you? It is irreplaceable. And because it's irreplaceable, it's invaluable. My mother used to tell me when I was a child, Richard, today will never return. Now it's her way of telling me, get busy and do what you need to do. Our Lord expects a return on this most valuable asset or trust that he's given us. He expects a return on his investment. But dear Christian, we all know how easy it is for us to indulge ourselves when it comes to the use of our time. With the use of our so-called time-saving devices and our electric gadgetry, all of which have their place, but as with everything for the Christian to be used wisely and in moderation. When John Piper turned 65 years old, he wrote a paper entitled, What Happens When You Turn 65? Although his topic was retirement as faced by the Christian, I think his words convey spiritual values that we all need to share. This is what he said. Pardon me. Quote, at 65, I'm still gagging at the pictures of leathery old sunbathers on white shores and green links. For 15 years, I have thrown away hundreds of senior mailings in the recycle bag unopened. Not that I'm opposed to saving, saving 79 cents on lunch at Perkins, that's a restaurant chain, but just don't try to sell me heaven before I get there. There is too much of hell left to fight. There is too much of hell left to fight. That'd be a good proof text for Ephesians 5.16. Redeem redeem the time for the days are evil. We are to live each day because each day is a trust. Number three, third encouragement to living each day. Today is work enough. Today is work enough. In the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord spoke at length on the topic of worrying. His closing words were these, quote, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, unquote, Matthew 6.34. 
In addressing our Lord's words, that is, sufficient for the day, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, quote, You must think of it like this. There is, as it were, a daily quota of problems and difficulties in life. Quota meaning that which God has given us. Every day has its problems. Some of them are constant. From day to day, some of them vary. But the great thing to do is to realize that every day must be lived in and of itself and as a unit. Here's the quota for today. Very well. We must face that and meet it. We must not go forward and lack tomorrow's and tack tomorrow's quota on today's. Otherwise, it will be too much for us. We have to take it day by day. Unquote. In other words, dear Christian, today requires your full attention. Our Lord said sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And why is our full attention needed? It's not simply that we face many troubles daily. It's primarily that we are to face them in a way that pleases God. So when you have those challenges and difficulties, or when we have those, we need to pray, Lord, help me to honor you in this. We pray that we get rid of it, and maybe that's a legitimate request, but we need God's grace to honor him day by day. And this indeed is a challenge for the Christian. Nevertheless, we are to live each day because today is work enough. Number four, the fourth encouragement in living each day. Today is full of opportunities. Today is full of opportunities. Living each day or redeeming the time does not only mean making the most of the moments, but it means laying hold of the significance or the importance of life as a whole and living each part of the day as a special moment to bring glory to God. We need to live each part of our day as a special moment to bring glory to God. What this means is that there's nothing mundane in the life of the Christian. There are events in your life that are routine, but there are none that are mundane. The mundane, the word itself, comes from the Latin, which is mundus, and it means world or earthly. So mundane would be that which is down here, below, or we might minimize it and think it unimportant or, or too regular. Well, for the Christian, there's no part of your life that's mundane. The early reformers and Puritans had some useful thoughts on this subject. William Tyndale said that it, if, we look, if we look at things externally, quote, this is what he said, <clears throat> there is a difference between washing dishes and preaching the word of God, but as touching to please God, no difference at all. Richard Baxter explained how this could be, quote, God looks not on, God looks not principally on the external part of the work, that means the outside, visible part of your work, but much more on the heart, on the heart of him who does it, unquote. So it's the motive or the goals behind our daily actions which raises them above the mundane or the lowly. If you understand this, you realize that, that your day, each day, is full of opportunities. 
Since our jobs or callings take up most of our time in this world, let me say a word about our motives or goal or goals relative to our callings. What if you were asked what you like most about your job or calling? Now, you probably could tell me a lot of things that you don't like about your job or your calling in life, but surely there are things that you do like. How would you answer that? You might say, well, I have a certain amount. If you're employed, I have a certain income that I'm comfortable with. I, yeah, I'd like to get more, but I'm happy with it. Or I like the hours that I'm working and so on, or I don't have to drive that far. It's better than the last job I had, you know. Or if you're domestic engineer, as we sometimes call our wives, <clears throat> many of them, that they enjoy the work that they're doing. They like some of the quiet that they get. The kids are uh, with grandma or grandpa. And uh, so there'd be a list of things we would like about our job or our calling. But would you be able to say sincerely, by my calling, I'm able to serve God? Or by my calling, I'm able to serve my fellow man? I was at a meal one time a luncheon where several of us were enjoying company and the host during the meal went around and asking each of us what we like most about our jobs. <clears throat> and so I'm just sitting there listening to this and one of the persons was a teacher and they asked this person, you know, what do you like most about your job? And the person said, well, I like the hours and I like the location and the level of students I'm teaching and so on. And then they asked different people, and then he came to another teacher, and another teacher said, what I like most about my job is when I see my students perform independent of my influence, and they take what I've learned and they apply it. See the difference between those two answers? Or I asked a police officer one time, what do you like most about your job as a police officer? Oh, I like the pay, and he gave me some things he didn't like, obviously, but I like the, you know, the retirement that's expected, and I like the independence that I have often, and the leadership role I have. And that's all he said. And yet on the side of their patrol car, it says, to protect and to serve. He didn't mention anything about protecting and serving. How would you characterize your own calling, the thing that you spent most of your time doing? Well, dear ones, our days are full of opportunities if we view it in the right way. So when you're there doing your accounting work as a CPA, do you consider the fact that those numbers have real meaning for the people that you're working for and really impacts their lives? Or if you're hauling some commodity from one place to the other, do you think about the benefit those that are going to be receiving when they get gets to the other end? Do you have a sense that you are serving God and serving man? It raises the level of your job, doesn't it? Every job and calling is sacred in the sight of God when done to honor him. So it's really the motives or goals behind our daily actions which raises them above the mundane. We are here to live each day because today is full of opportunities. Number five. <clears throat> Today distracts from worry. Today distracts from worry. 
This encouragement is addressed to those of you who find it difficult not to worry. And also for those of you who tend to dwell on the past. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And we'll read a few verses from that book. Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And we're going to be reading verses 18 through 20. Again, this is on the point that today distracts from worry. Here Solomon, the writer, mentions verse 18. He says, here is what I have seen. Chapter 5, verse 18. Here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him. For it, it is his heritage or portion. Verse 19, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage or portion and rejoice in in his labor, this is the gift of God. Now notice verse 20, for he will not dwell unduly all the days of his life because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. Notice the words that are used here, particularly in verses 18 and 19. He talks about a person's toil, their labor. He mentions their labor twice in those two verses. But notice he also tells us that these are the gift of God. That toil or calling or job, whatever you might have, is the gift of God. And that gift of God, when attended to, to the glory of God, is going to keep you busy. Verse 24, he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life. In other words, he won't be as much of his time devoted to worry or depression because he's kept busy. He will not dwell unduly all the days of his life because God keeps him busy, occupied with the joy of his heart. When I was a young boy, I was extremely shy. And if you told me that I would be making my living by standing up in front of people as a teacher, I would have strongly rejected that. There was no way. And I remember the first speech class I took at community college, I was so nervous I ended up dropping the class. And then I transferred over to a four-year university, and there I was tempted to dropped the class, but I persevered. I felt a little bit more confident, see? And I noticed that the teachers would often, when training someone in a speech class, would ask them to just talk about that which they're most interested in. What what is their hobbies? What do they like to do with their time? And that was a very good idea because then the individual was talking about their pastimes and getting into it and explaining, especially if the teacher was asking them, okay, well, what about this and what about that? Oh, well, this is what we do about that. And after a while, the student might lose some of their shyness or resistance to to speaking out loud. Well, there's something to be said for being busy. And when we're busy and occupied each day in serving our Lord, we're less likely to worry about things that we've tended to worry about. 
Dear Christian, we will not duly dwell, we will not dwell unduly on the days of our lives, as God keeps us busy in the joy of serving Him day by day as we live each day. And this, by the way, is why being idle is bad for those who are prone to worry. Perhaps you've noticed that. Some people that have a lot of time on their hands or feel that they do often are distracted with worry. We are to live each day because each day distracts us from worry. Number six, number six, today is of divine importance. We have another encouragement to live in each day. Today is, is of divine importance. In chapter three of our church's confession of faith entitled God's Decree, we read these words, quote, God has decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his holy will, free and unchangeably all things whatsoever comes to pass, unquote. God has decreed whatsoever comes to pass. That's also why the psalmist was able to write in Psalm 31.15, my times are in your hand, as God has decreed all the events of our lives. What this means, dear Christian, is that today and all the events of today were determined by God, and they were determined by God in eternity past. That means that today is very important to God. And if they're important to God, they should be important to us. John Bunyan, and I'm sure you've heard of John Bunyan. He wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, but he wrote a number of other uh, essays and books. And one of them was entitled Israel's Hope Encouraged. Israel's Hope Encouraged. And in true John Bunyanism, he uses that expression to encourage Christians about God's promises, Israel's hope encouraged, the, the spiritual Israel's hope encouraged. So he, he deals in the book about uh, the promises that God has, has given his people, promises of good, and he focuses in on heaven and what heaven will be as the ultimate good. And so let me just read just uh, one sentence here from that, from that book. Quote, since God has mercies to give, and he intends to give them to us, those mercies are not the broken pieces of someone else's leftovers. And now he starts to use some allegory. God has bags that were never untied, never opened up, but set aside through a thousand generations for those who hope in his mercy, unquote. And you're thinking, what in the world... Richard, are you bringing, what, what are you saying here? It sounds strange. Well, this is, enter into the allegory. What he's saying is that, remember, God has decreed all things. So what he's saying is that before time began, all the events of each day were as if they were in a bag. And they had all the events of that day, the challenges, the mercies, all in that bag. And so when you get up tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, and you wake up, the bag is untied. And all of those mercies and events and circumstances are now going forth. 
what God has determined in past for your for you for you and for me each day has been reserved for that day and no other day and should not that which is important to God be important to each of us how can we minimize any moment of our lives that are decreed by a wise and almighty God see this is where our Calvinism comes into play in a practical way here. How much do we really see God's hand in our day? We are to live each day because today is of divine importance. Number seven, and the final encouragement. Today is another day with Jesus. Today is another day with Jesus. I mentioned, I think I mentioned before, how I was on vacation with my wife in Florida to visit my daughter and her three grandchildren and her husband. And so we returned this last week. And my daughter and her husband have a place where we have a a granny flat. I don't know if you've ever heard that term, a granny flat. It's like a separate self-contained room and kitchenette and so on, full bath that's separated from the main home with, by a two-car garage. So I, I don't hear all the screaming and the spanking and all that that you'll hear. I'm, I'm way out there, you see. And, and, and the children, especially the youngest ones, four-year-old and seven-year-old, of course, they're in school during the day, but on Saturday and Sunday, they're there. And they've been instructed not to disturb Grandma and Grandpa because Grandpa and Grandma are used to sleeping in a little bit. You know, we need more hours. And so I'm sitting there in my bed, just about ready to wake up or half awake, and I see this silhouette in the door. It's a glass door, but it's got a, a curtain on it. And I can hear and So you, you know they want to come in. Little Sterling, seven years old, and Everly is four years old. And they want to play with Grandpa and Grandma, because we, where were the action in? See, we're going to make them happy, see? And so... You notice the tendency, they want to be with us, don't they? I mean, they, they, they can't wait until we say, okay, you can come in, you see. I bring this up because shouldn't we be this way with our Savior each day that we awake? We realize what we have as Christians. We have the thrice holy God who has an interest in us. He wants us to, to interact with him. He's given himself for us. And having given himself for us, will he not freely give us all things, the scripture tells us. So, dear Christian, do you ever think of the joy that is yours as you awaken each morning? The joy of resuming your life with the Savior? Do you enjoy the thrill of living one more day in union with God the Son? Surely some of you must remember the days before you were converted if you were saved at a later age, as I was. And think about what occupied your thoughts each day as you lived compared to what you have today and and what you have access to today. I mean, it's, it's the difference between black and white. There's a hymn entitled, In the Garden. It's an old hymn. It was written by a gentleman named C. Austin Miles in 1912. And he was a, a poet and a, and a, and a writer of, of, of song, and he was asked to produce this hymn. 
And he used as his theme John chapter 20, where if you remember, Mary Magdalene first sees the risen Savior at his tomb. And it's entitled, In the Garden. Let me read to you some of the words of that hymn. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known, unquote. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. You can, in your mind's eye, see Mary when finally she recognizes him and says, Rabboni. The joy they shared as they tarried there, none other has ever known. Dear Christian, do you know anything of this? Do you know anything of these times of intimacy between you and God, where God has touched your heart and you feel an appreciation in your emotions for what he's done for you? John Piper also wrote these words, quote, I am close enough to the finish line, because now he's talking about him in retirement, I am close enough to the finish line that the face of Jesus is coming into focus. What an interesting way of saying that. His face is coming into focus. This is very exciting, he says, and makes me want to pick up the pace, unquote. Makes me want to pick up the pace. Or we could say, makes me want to live each day. We are to live each day because today is another day with Jesus. In closing, let me make these final remarks. First of all, for the Christian, we have covered a number of encouragements for you to live each day. Today is all you have. Today is a trust. Today is work enough. Today is full of opportunities. Today distracts from worry. Today is of divine importance, and today is another day with Jesus. May God, the Holy Spirit, give you the grace to live each day of your remaining days in this fallen world in a way that brings glory to the Father and to his Son. But for the unbeliever, I have words for you as well. Although this message has been directed primarily to Christians, there is a sense in which some of these encouragements also apply to you, two of them. One is today is of divine importance, and the second is today is all you have. Let's say a few words. Let me say a few words about each one. Today is of divine importance. God is in control of today. He is giving new life as numerous ones are being born into this world. This is also the day when countless individuals worldwide are in death passing from this world into the next and finding themselves faced with the God who made them. In speaking about death, King Solomon wrote, quote, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to the God who gave it, 
unquote, Ecclesiastes 12, 7. The dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to the God who gave it. In other words, we begin our existence with God, and we end our existence with God. He gave you your body. He gave you your soul. And you and I will stand before him one day. Today is of divine importance, dear unbeliever. Secondly, dear unbeliever, today is all you have. Today is all you have. The past is gone, and tomorrow is unknown. You have no idea what challenges you may face tomorrow, or as we considered this morning, if you will even, if you will even have a tomorrow. As with all of us, today is all you have. It's all that God has given you. Today is your only sure opportunity to get right with God. You know you're not right with God. Your own conscience tells you you're not right with God. Today is all you have. In closing, dear unbeliever, listen to the words of Richard Baxter regarding today. Quote, Write upon the doors of your shop and of your room, this is the time on which your endless life depends. Unquote. I'm going to read it again. Quote, Write upon the doors of your shop and of your room, this is the time on which your endless life depends. Amen. May I close in prayer? Our dear, gracious God, Savior, and Holy Spirit, we bless you once again for the opportunity to gather in your presence to give you the worship that is your due. Thank you for accepting our songs of praise and for the prayers you accepted through the finished work of our Lord and the instrumentality of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, for reminding us who we are and who you are. We pray, Lord, that we might go from this place as we go forth, living each day, taking it one day at a time, and seeking to honor you. And may those here or those that hear this message that know not the Savior through faith and repentance, that you'd be pleased to make it so for your own glory's sake. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>